We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hi. And also Smooch. <laughs> with special guest appearance by Smooch, who has not been at the last few episodes because she was calmly vacationing at our parents' house while I made a semi-tumultuous move to our new home. She tends to get sick whenever we move, and so we had her stay with our parents. And she is back, and she's so happy to be back, she can't stop circling and purring. So if you hear just random waves of purrs, that is why. That is oh, just... And I'm in a tent to test the audio quality. So that's why she's able to circle. <laughs> yeah. So the first week Maddie was in her new place, it was in the bathroom. That was a bad idea. Way too echoey. Last week she was in her Jeep in the garage. <laughs> that was also not the best idea. So now we're trying a tent. A tent with a blanket on it in a room. Yeah. Yeah. The things we do for you guys. <laughs> like... I I can't, you know, change the fact that I have high ceilings now, but I can potentially make it better by being stalked by a cat in a tent with a blanket on it. <laughs> we'll make you a padded igloo or something. Something. So yeah, apologies in advance for the random in and out purrs that come through the audio. So this week, which is week two, two? of Wicked Mock Madness... We are going to be discussing Italian witch villages. Ooh. We're going to Italy. We love a good garlic bread witch combination. Mm -hmm. I do love me some garlic. Yep. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 Italy Trails article. 2021 Dark Fringe Radio article by Brent Swanser. 2020 Life in Italy article by Francesca Bazzone, 2019 CNN article by Silvia Marchetti, 2019 Jezebel article by Hazel Sills, 2018 Italy Magazine article by Silvia Donati, Atlas Obscura, Do Eat It Magazine article, Iborhi website, and an article on the Langa del Sol website. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramps? So we are continuing our Witchy World Tour by traveling this week to Italy, specifically to the villages of Triora and Paroldo, both of which are known by the moniker of Village of Witches, but nice. for very different reasons. 
Oh. Okay. When I first was looking this up, because I just had it listed as Village of Witches, and I was like, cool, this sounds fun. And that was one in Spain. But then when I looked up Village of Witches, these two popped up. And I was like, hmm, let's see what's uh, going on in Italy. Yeah. So we are. Triora, which is located in the Ligurian Alps, is part of the province of Imperia and cradles the border of Piedmont and is a small village above the Argentina Valley. Okay. It's really cool. It's like nestled in this, this, this like rocky cliff face and it's got a bunch of like medieval looking buildings on the top. Ooh. It's really picturesque. It's That's like awesome. like Disney castle kind of stuff. Yeah, like Disney pan in, pan out level type of nice. cool. Additionally, it's not that far from the French border. Oh, okay. And even though it's known as the Village of Witches or Il Paese della Strega, it also holds the distinction of being one of the most beautiful medieval villages in all of Italy. That makes sense from the way you've described it. It is beautimous. And I'm going to include pictures on social. Nice. You guys need to look at how beautiful this place is. Can we visit it? Yes. It is okay. a real place. I just was wondering if like it hasn't been destroyed by war or rocks. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> it still exists. Awesome. It might not seem like it, but Triora is pretty historically significant. Militarily, religiously, and strategically, even though today it only boasts a population of less than 400 people. Nice. Its name, which means three mouths, is an homage to its three main products of industry, wheat, grapevines, and chestnuts. Oh, okay. Although some believe it to symbolize the three rivers that merge where the village is located. Okay. Triora came about during the time of the Romans under the tribe of the Ligurian Montani, all the way back in the 9th and 10th centuries. It was later taken by Count Badaluco in the 12th century, at which point alliances were formed with neighboring villages local to the Republic of Genoa, following its eventual purchase by the Republic after they couldn't conquer it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Maybe because they had the advantage being in the mountains. They were like, we want that, and then they kept trying to fight for it and fight for it, and eventually they were like, just fuck it, we're going to buy you. We're just going to buy you. It'll, it's easier. Right. It became a financially important location, valued for its trade and commerce. And in 1261, it became a granary of the Republic. Nice. Big deal. Fun fact. Due to the fact that a particular type of grain is produced here, Triora also has the distinction of being known as the city of bread. Ooh, the city of bread in Italy. That's significant. Mm-hmm. Just carb central. I just love that. Just eating a bunch of carbs, getting fat and sassy in the mountains. Mm-hmm. With your chestnuts and your grapevines and your wheats. Mm-hmm. Due to its position, it consisted of five fortresses, was accessible through seven gates, and its military actively participated in campaigns for the Republic of Genoa, 
its fortification proved difficult to conquer for Emperor Charles IV's troops during the Tenth Conquest of Triora in the Battle of Maloria of 1284. Triora sent 250 whippers to support Genoa during their naval battle against Pisa. I don't know what a whipper does, but it sounds sexy. I kind (laughs) of need to know. Yeah, just someone who uses a whip, I guess. Yeah, someone who uses a whip. That's, I guess that's it. So. (laughs) They're just like, we got a bunch of people that can whip. Uh, Here you go. (laughs) Not only can they whip, but they can whip it good. So crazy. If it's something else and I'm just not finding it on the internet, let us know. Because I, I don't know. Between the years of 1587 and 1589, around 200 women in Triora and the neighboring villages were accused of practicing witchcraft. Of the women, all endured torture, some jail, while others were murdered or took matters into their own hands and completed suicide in order to escape their fate. Wow. So not like the other, the country last week? Mm -mm, Not like Poland, no. Jeez, they were vicious. But why were so many women being accused during this two-year span of time? Yeah, what the heck? Historians who investigated the witch trials soon discovered that a terrible drought plagued the area, which caused a near-devastating grain shortage. At this Mm -hmm. point, we all know that when disasters like this take place, people look for something to blame it on, And superstition firmly places that finger of blame on women committing paganist acts of witchcraft. Because heaven forbid it be an act of God. Yep. Because God did it because of somebody being ungodly. Yes. That's the only reason. It's the only reason. Climate change, not a thing. There is speculation, considering the fact that Triora was the granary of the Republic, that the price of flour had risen, effectively starving the poorest of the population due to their inability to afford it. It is highly unlikely that one bad harvest year would cause enough devastation for a whole town to be compromised. You would think, but, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Not only were these women blamed for the blight of crops, but also for acid rain, pestilence, the mutilated deaths of livestock, and even the cannibalization of children. You don't have bread, so you just resort to eating children? I think they were taking uh, a page out of the pig book from France. They were just like, well, the the French pigs do it, so it's got to be good. Okay, so maybe I don't want to visit this super picturesque place. It sounds really scary. (laughs) Yeah. These aren't my kind of witches. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Inquisitors of the Genoa and Albenga were summoned by the local diocese. And at the beginning, the bulk of the accused came from a neighborhood of Triora that was known as La Cabotina. A mishmash of filthy, crumbling huts outside the town's walls made up the area and was the home and stomping grounds of the undesirables of society. Single mothers, the poor, and sex workers. Yep, let's hate on all of the poor people first. Yep. They definitely did it. Yep. Many of those that followed were ones we've seen accused time and time again in the past. 
housewives, healers, and midwives. It wasn't long before the first 20 women were rounded up. However, several of them were nobles or belonged to old and influential families. Really? The last thing any of the members of the Council of Elders, which was mainly made up of rich landowners, Mm -hmm. wanted was to see any of their actual peers accused. Right. So in January of 1588, the Inquisitors left Triora, and the accused women were left in prison. Right. Unfortunately, the Republic of Genoa didn't get the memo and sent over Inquisitor Giulio de Scribani, as well as a priest named Girolamo del Pozzo. Inquisitor Giulio, who was a former local magistrate, was Mm -hmm. zealous in his pursuit of wiping all of the devil's influence from the earth. Great. Just what you need. His prolific use of torture and violence against those accused of heresy was well known throughout the Republic. Great. In fact, shortly after arriving in Triora, Inquisitor Giulio said, quote, I am here to cleanse this place of that diabolical sect, end quote. Awesome. It wasn't long after this that the number of accused witches rose to 30, as the first 20 women were tortured and convinced to name more of the women that made up their coven. Awesome. Of the initial 20, 18 of the accused broke under extreme torture, confessing that they were indeed witches, and as a result, 13 more women, four young girls, and a single young boy were added to the list of accused. Following the roundup, the Council of Elders cautioned Inquisitor Giulio to slow his role. Before the trials even began, one of the noblewomen had been tortured to death, and another had completed suicide by flinging herself out a window. Jeez. The suggestion by the council was ignored for the most part, with the exception of the release of a 12 to 13-year-old girl, who was no doubt the daughter of someone of importance. Great. It wasn't long into Inquisitor Giulio's time in Triora before even the Genoese Doge started to doubt the witchcraft claims that were coming in as the number of the accused began to swell. Mm -hmm. For such a small community, it was just too many witches for it to be true. In a bid to keep the trials objective, the Doge sent officials to Triora to rein in Inquisitor Giulio. Because keep in mind, even though right now it's at 30, it rises to 200. That's insane. The Triora witch trials sparked similar witch hunts in neighboring countries like France, and during a two-year span of time, women throughout Italy were arrested and tortured under the guise of committing acts that went against God, their neighbors, or at the expense of innocent children. Mm. Although the practice wasn't widely used in Italy as it was in other countries around the world, we do know that at least four women were burnt at the stake, even though there was a severe lack of evidence and considerable amount of doubt around the confessions extracted from them under torture. Isn't it also super not ideal to burn people during a drought? You would think. Mm. You would think. Yeah. But what do I know? Yeah, seriously. It took two years to condemn the remaining quote-unquote witches, 
And during that time, seven women had died in Triora's jails, while another five passed away in the prisons of Genoa. It wasn't until August 28, 1589, that the Triora witch trials finally came to an end. We don't know for sure what happened to the others, as there are conflicting reports. Some believe that they were taken to Genoa, where they were imprisoned, until the Holy Office buckled under pressure and set them free. Inquisitor Giulio was also later excommunicated for his part. Yeah, good. He should have been put to death, but whatever. Yeah. As far as the final death toll as a result of the Triora trials, we don't know that either. The only deaths we know of for sure are the four women who were burnt at the stake, the twelve that died in prison, the noble who had been tortured to death, and the other who completed suicide. Outside of that, we have no idea if others were put to death or if the rest were quietly released to abjure or forcibly leave the country once the storm of witch hunting had passed. Yeah. It probably wasn't great, whatever it was. Yeah. Those interested in visiting Triora today can find reminders of this dark period in their history everywhere. The Ethnographic and Witchcraft Museum in town contains reconstructions of the torture methods that were used, as well as artifacts from the trials. I don't know if I want to know that. Mm -mm. Visitors can tour a number of places, including the former homes of accused witches, Monte de la Forque, which is where those who were burnt at the stake met their fate, La Cabotina, where a single home is still structurally sound enough to explore. That was the impoverished area where the first mm -hmm. accused witches were pulled from. Campo Malva, a fountain near walnut trees that is viewed as a witch meeting place. <laughs> Not chestnuts, walnuts. Walnuts. Lago Denu, which is home to the Rio Grunanyelolo, which is a small brook that forms a small lake where it meets with the Argentina stream. It's considered a perfect witching spot due to the supposed channeling powers of water. That would be a good witching spot. There is also the Chan de Preve, which is a field near the medieval bridge of Mauta, which are also noted as witching areas. Hmm. The second village of witches holds a much lighter tie to the act of witchcraft and the supernatural. That's good, because this one was really terrible. <laughs> yeah. Paroldo, which is located in Piedmont, about 80 kilometers or 50 miles southeast of Turin in the high Longe Hills, is smaller than Triora with a population of around 230. A maze of medieval alleys, chapels, and abandoned stone dwellings, for centuries it's been home to the Mosque. Mosque are women said to possess magical powers such as the ability to cure illnesses with their white magic. Additionally, it's said that their magical abilities to heal any number of skin diseases is somehow able to enhance the homemade specialties that they prepare. Hmm. Okay. The ritual of healing involves the mosque chanting prayers, all while rapidly cutting the air with their fingers three times, creating the shape of the cross close to the afflicted body without actually making skin contact. This exercise allows the mosque to sever the evil that ties the diseases to the afflicted. 
They believed that any incurable disease is the work of Satan. Another treatment is the witch dish of banya cauda, or hot bath, which is a creamy sauce consisting of garlic, extra virgin olive oil, and anchovies served in a ceramic pot. To use, you must dip fresh vegetables, mainly celery or cardoons, which are part of the artichoke family, and they look kind of like a thistle. Okay. And slices of bread are soaked in the broth to be eaten at the end. Sounds delicious. It does sound really good, except for the anchovies. I don't know if I can't eat anchovies. I mean, anchovies, if you you cut them fine enough, it's just a salty addition. It's salt. Just seems very salty. Yeah. Garlic is a key ingredient in Banya Cauda due to not only its legendary ability to repel evil witches, but due to its health benefits, such as improving digestion. Ooh. Romano Salvetti, who owns the 100 year old tavern in the hamlet known as Trattoria Salvetti, bore witness to the workings of the Mosca himself, as his mother was one. Today, Romano works as a witch hunter, but not in an evil, burn-them-at-the-stake sort of way. Okay. To honor his mother's memory and those of the Mosque, he's working to track down any that continue to survive in the High Longa to create a network and way to preserve their traditions for future generations. That's nice. In his own words in an interview with CNN, Romano stated, quote, the last well-known Mosque who lived here, Teresina, died in the 1930s. But there are still many of them in Paraldo. They just like to keep to themselves and don't want to spread the word, end quote. Yeah, I bet. I bet they don't. There's a history of people not responding well to them. So Yeah. It's said that way back when, the Mosque would be called upon to act as healers when traditional methods of treating the ill failed. Working in shifts, they would only cease their healing practices when the local church bells rang in the evening. Of the skin diseases they treat, it's said that the tradition of learning how to heal anything from herpes to psoriasis is passed down from generation to generation amongst the women in a family. That's crazy. A cure for psoriasis? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the herpes one is impressive enough, but like psoriasis? That's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. The magic is said to transfer via touch as the matriarch passes, their gift of healing passing on to the next generation. According to tradition, if a Mosca has no female kin to pass her healing powers on to, or if none of them are present at the time of her passing, she has to touch something else in order to transfer her power so it doesn't die with her. It could be anything a chair, a comb, or even an animal, such as a cat. Okay. A Paraldo local named Anna Rossi, who at the time of the CNN interview was 30, is being trained in the ways of the Mosque by her grandmother. In her words, quote, I am trying to learn the tricks of the trade from my granny before she dies, but it will take years. I can't yet feel that electric current sensation running through my hands. She says, I will know how to master the Mosque art when I reach 40 and become a mature woman, end quote. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
On the night of St. Martin on November 11th, which is the feast day of St. Martin of Tours, the town celebrates their paranormal history by leading revelers along the witch promenade during a guided village tour. From experiencing Banya Cauda in the homes of locals, the tour continues to an altar built on the remains of a Celtic stone pillar that is an alleged Mosca hangout spot. Okay. Next, it's over to the most ancient part of Paroldo, Borgo de Cavallini, filled with abandoned farms, stone cottages with dangerously crumbling balconies, stables, and other worldly brick ovens. It's often decorated with wooden carts that contain straw scarecrows dressed in traditional clothes. I've seen pictures and it's actually kind of terrifying. Yeah, it sounds not (laughs) great. The tour of Paroldo concludes at a tiny cemetery chapel dubbed the Well of Souls. The stone walls are said to vibrate with the Earth's energy and are covered in shamanic symbols to quote-unquote bite away evil spirits as well as grotesque masks. It's said that night Sabbaths were held at the Well of Souls in the 1900s, and naked women would dance around a huge bonfire to conduct fertility ceremonies. The men would also take part, wearing wolfskin masks, as the women would spread a poisonous ungent made from belladonna that they would smear under their armpits. Interesting. It's said that the concoction could make them fly. In a psychological way, yeah, belladonna is used as a sedative, so. Yeah, that's kind of how I took that. I was like, I don't think literally, but maybe mentally. Absolutely mentally, you would fly smearing that in your armpits. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the Feast of St. Martin that is celebrated. Friday evening is the Mosca dinner. Saturday is a festival of events and shows, followed by the Banya Cauda dinner, Cavallini. And Sunday is a dedication to summer with a fair of local delicacies. For anyone interested in experiencing Paroldo for themselves, a bed and breakfast is being added to the upstairs of the Trattoria Salvetti Tavern to allow tourists to experience the ancient customs of the Mosca for themselves. And that is the tale of two villages that couldn't be more different, but are still known as the Village of Witches. Nice. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at YieldCrimePod and on Facebook and Instagram at YieldCrimePodcast. On TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at YieldCrimePodcast. I'm Jackie Moranti, and I produce a podcast called Cause of Death, 100 Seconds to Midnight. Have you ever read or watched any post-apocalyptic fiction? Were you one of the first people to see The Road or I Am Legend when they came out? Do you wonder if those things could really happen? Could the world as we know it be toppled by a disease, a global crisis, or a natural disaster? I assure you that it could. My show talks about the precursors to apocalyptic events. I like to call it pre-apocalyptic nonfiction. I talk about history and how we never learned from it the present, and how we tend to ignore every warning sign, and the future, 
and what it will mean if we don't take care of our resources. The hands of the doomsday clock have been set at 100 seconds to midnight for three years now. Can we make the hands turn back? Cause of death, 100 seconds to midnight, can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's podcast plug is the Cause of Death 100 Seconds to Midnight podcast from the USA Network, hosted by Jackie Moranti. Cause of Death 100 Seconds to Midnight explores the things that will kill you through the lens of science, her personal mm-hmm. experience as a microbiologist, and nice. history. Awesome. And we will have a link to her show in the show notes. So what is something good you'd like to share? Smooch is back. My moochie is Yay. back in my house and in my life. And her first day in the new house was yesterday. Her first day was yesterday. And we were all kind of nervous because we weren't sure how she was going to react to the new place. But after she did some exploring, she started purring and came to cuddle. And she really likes it. So it's been, it's been a, good, a good transition that I wasn't sure. If it was, moving is really, really hard on her, more more than the others. So she adjusted very well so far. So we'll see what happens. That's good. What about you? What's something good? I just got back from a family vacation, and I was very excited to pick up my Kona. Mm-hmm. I missed her. I was sitting on my futon before we started recording and she sat next to me and she expressed her glands all over me. So that's how I know that she missed me. Yep. 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 Nothing like smelling like gross fish in the name of love. I love the smell of fish oil. It's my favorite. And that is sarcasm in case you didn't pick up on that. Well, on that note, let's shut her down. Yeah. If you're interested in ad free content, Consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. If you'd like to support the show, but you can't do so financially, you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or wherever you can leave a review. This week's comes from our friend JD from the Through the Veil podcast. And they say, a must to get me through the workday. These two are a wonderful combination of interesting facts and catalysts for true LOL outbursts that tend to get me into trouble at work. I love their approach to the genre and look forward to every new episode. Sincerely, JD from Through the Veil. Thank you How so do we much. get you in trouble? Oh no! What did we do? <laughs> they like laugh out loud oh, to no. our show, and then people are like, "Why are you laughing?" Gross. <laughs> Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly. If you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes, or over on our link tree to get started today.
And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. Hazilda's Crime. <laughs>